Ladies and gentlemen. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically, opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. But we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people, confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Humanity Awaken Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Bolin, and with me as always is my co-host, Phil McNamara. Hi everybody. Tonight we have a special guest. We're going to be interviewing Mitch Filion. He's an indie filmmaker from Toronto, certified in natural health with films on spirituality, UFOs, and the Paul is Dead theory. Other areas of research include the truth about cancer and other autoimmune diseases, Stanley Kubrick, and 9-11. Tonight we're going to be talking with him about his new film, Calling Occupants, where he's been able to uh, get a bunch of our uh, UFO speaker favorites on camera with some of the likes of Stanton Friedman, Stephen Bassett, Nick Pope, Grant Cameron, just to name a few. And uh, yeah... Well, let's just go right into it. I want to bring Mitch onto the show. Mitch, how you doing? Good. How are you guys? Fantastic. We're doing great. Thanks for having me. So tell us about your new film, Mitch. So yeah, Calling Occupants. Um, it's centered around me and a small group of friends, three other friends. Um, and we set out to try and make human-initiated contact with uh, extraterrestrials. Um, so basically, all the the three films that I've made, there's this kind of a trilogy now. Uh, the first one was from Uneasy Dreams, Calling Occupants, and then the new one I'm working on, um, Who Is This Now? They're all shot in a disguised documentary um, format, so to speak. So basically, um, and there's no budget for any of them either. So I'm the lead. I'm the lead actor, and I'm the director. I'm the cameraman. I do pretty much everything. I do the sound. There's no crew there for about 90% of all these productions. And then the odd time when I want some more like handheld feel to a scene, then I'll hire a camera guy for a couple hundred bucks. But 
that's about it. It's usually just me doing it all. DIY. So, anyway, so yeah, anyways, we actually set out to, you know, we're following the, um, the protocol of Stephen Greer. I don't know if you're familiar. Absolutely. I've actually downloaded the app before. Okay. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, uh, the film starts out with us, you know, attempting to do this ourselves and, um, just talking about, you know, the problems surrounding kind of UFO disclosure and, and the cover up that, you know, dating back to Roswell when we, um, recovered two crashed, uh, UFO flying saucers. And one of them I think was significantly intact to be recovered. And I think there was a couple bodies that were actually still alive at the time. And this, uh, we talk about this in the film with Paul Hellyer, who explains that um, it was during around the time that uh, Operation Paperclip was happening and they were bringing Nazi scientists over. Um, to real help. quick, real quick, just so everyone knows who Paul Hellyer is, just to clarify uh, yeah. that, he's the Canadian Prime Minister of Defense. Yeah. So he is no joke, and he right. came forward about two years ago. And, uh, you know, for Mitch to get an interview with him is pretty powerful it's a really big deal if you guys are looking for credibility where's the proof this is the testimony we've been looking for for a long time and i think he's like 92 now really yeah he does not look it no and he's you know he he came into the conference um so sorry i should back up we we ended up filming the um alien cosmic expo in brantford ontario so we went there and filmed the whole disclosure conference and then interviewed like, you know, Travis Walton and Grant Cameron and yeah, a bunch of people while we were there. I've met a lot of those guys, you know, Travis Walton, Grant Cameron, those dudes are just sweethearts. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah they're the they best. Are. They're really yeah. good. They're good dudes. And you, and you know, the way that we make this film where we're just kind of having these conversations with people, they were, I think they were kind of let, they let their guard down and we're just kind of free to open up and, you know, get excited about certain things and just different than the normal you know interview formats you usually see kind of thing absolutely that's really cool to hear so tell me Mitch did you guys actually use the app when doing the initiations and like follow the whole Stephen Greer protocol or did you guys Um, find another way of doing that we we didn't use the app Um, I had a friend um, then this is in the film too I had a friend make he's like an uh, ambient noise musician so I was like can you create a piece of music that while you're creating it, you, you have it in your mind that it's for the aliens and it's this peaceful call because I feel like music has that ability to, you know, um, contain some of these feelings or uh, intentions. So, uh, so I had him create this piece of music and then, so we brought that out into the field and we're kind of doing these meditations. Um, there was a mantra that Stephen Greer, uh, talks about. I think it's like, um, nom. Um, no, no. um, so we're kind of, we, we actually traveled up north of, of Toronto to Algonquin Park, this just huge, um, you know, open area so we could see the stars better and didn't pan out that night, but <laughs> I don't know if I want to ruin the ending, but we did, uh, end up making contact, I would say, because, um, well, I guess I can talk about it, but, uh, yeah, at the end of the film, we got together with, um, uh, I think Jonathan's about 25 years old and his mom, they run this website, ufocontact.com in Toronto. So we got in touch with them and, uh, she kind of led the meditation and it was a cloudy night and she, she set the intention for the, the sky to clear and immediately the clouds parted and the sky cleared. And then within five or 10 minutes, 
we saw like three really bright flashing lights after we called out to the aliens saying, you know, we're here, we want to make contact, like we, we have peaceful intentions and all this stuff. And I got one of them on camera that's at the end of the film. Um, the, two, the first two would just happen too fast in an area we weren't filming of the sky. Um, and uh, at first, like one of the camera guys that was there, he was skeptical saying, oh, they're all, it was a geosynchronous satellite or something. But I mean, I've looked into the sky like so many times throughout my whole life and I've never seen one of these. And then to have three of them in different areas of the sky just like flash on and off like light bulbs, like five minutes after we sit out there and are calling out to them, it just seems too coincidental. I, I feel like like when people go to that kind of conclusion in a situation like that, it's like the mind's rationale to understanding a glitch in the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> For and, sure, yeah. And the thing is, honestly, you know, the music is um, music is is math, and, and math is a universal language. So sure. when you're creating that, what you're doing is you're sending out into the universe math equations, and mm -hmm. if they can interpret that, then they're like, oh, okay, we we recognize what this is. Even sure. if the music itself doesn't make any sense to them, but the but the the tonality, the feelings, and the, feelings and, and the notes and everything is, and mm -hmm. so, you know, and also it speaks to the fact that of, of human consciousness and how powerful that really is that you were able to affect bringing these beings into into fruition just by, you know, just by setting an intention and chanting and and, and sending that music out. It's pretty powerful. And another thing that happened earlier on in the film is it was the first scene we had shot for the film. And I thought it, it, I took it as a good indication that we should keep moving forward with it. But anyways, it's a scene where I'm telling one of my friends that, you know, we should try this human initiated contact. But we should also be aware that these aliens, they may not just come as a disc in the sky. We have to be aware that they could be interdimensional beings or whatever. So. We have to just be aware if anything weird happens to take note of it. And right as I say that, like the lights in his like kitchen and living room all do this like flicker on and off and it's caught in the film and it totally just freaks us out because the timing of it right after I kind of am talking to him about this stuff. And and it wasn't it didn't feel like an electrical surge. Like like he was like, That's never happened in my house before <laughs> and he's lived there like four years or something, right? So I don't know if just like our energy and excitement over starting the project was something that caused this shift in electricity or it was we were connecting with something else. I don't know, but something happened. It's uh, <laughs> it's very interesting, too, because let's take that a step further, because, um, you know, let's say some of the visitors, the beings are using anti-gravity. If they're using anti-gravity, it's a... Uh, feeding off you know the opposite polarity of the earth right you know the geomagnetism and then yeah. that's basically what it is and then if that the electricity is feeding off the earth and they're near you in some way that might be one way of explaining it i don't know why that just came to me I'd, wow but uh that that seems like a logical thing just from a third party you know hearing that and you know i've had yeah, weird sure. experiences like that and when you're in it it's just so uh, I guess supernatural, you know, is really the only word, but like John Keel likes to talk about um, the, the super spectrum and um, how they things 
all the ghostly ghouls and like you know ETs and uh, fairies, you know, like come out from the super spectrum and say hi once in a while, and sometimes that's mm-hmm. the way that they let you know that they're there. Right. Yeah, there was another experience when I was. Um, I'm guessing I was about 21 years old, still living at my parents. And um, I had a group of friends out in the back porch, and we were just hanging, drinking beers or whatever. And there was a moment, it was wintertime, there was a moment when I just noticed that the whole back sliding door, glass sliding door, looked like it was like a stained glass window. Like the pattern was so perfect and intricate that it didn't look like it was just from the ice rain or whatever. And as soon as I noticed it, my one friend goes, is that supposed to look like that? And as he says that, everyone else besides me and him just kind of shuts off. Like all my other friends, this is a true story. I don't know how to explain it to this day. But everyone else shut off like drones and like their heads went down. And then my friend is just having this one-to-one conversation with me. And at the time, like I was really religious and I just explained it like, oh, it's God. Like God speaking to me through a friend. Um, which I still believe could be the case, but I have a different understanding of God now that I'm older. It's not a, you know, a Bible-based God or whatever. But um, so, anyways, so he has this conversation with me, and and this guy's like a bit of a stoner, right? And he's talking to me like with words I would never normally hear him speak. He's like saying blasphemy and all these things that are like straight out of like a scripture or something, right? Um, And then so the party ends and I go out to like another park and meet up with some other friends. Wait, 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 wait. We're going to skip over everyone being shut off. Okay. What happened during that? I need to (laughs) know this. (laughs) So, so I don't know. It was right when he pointed to the the sliding door. He's like, is that supposed to look like that? And then once he like pointed, like pointed that out, he, it was like almost this whole shift in consciousness, like. Oh, you're aware that something weird is happening right now because stained glass is not supposed to look like that. And um, to be honest, I can't even tell you when everyone like came to again. But I would say like it was at least five minutes that I was just talking to him. And it's strange thinking back to it because I was not—I I didn't even feel the the um, the urge to go shake some of those friends and say, "What what are you doing?" Because I was so engaged in the conversation. I was like, oh, yeah, this is just normal. This is happening. And then, yeah, I guess at some point um, it could have been my mom came and knocked on the sliding door and then everything snapped back to normal or something. But That's it was really very interesting. Yeah. Wow. Like, so did you notice any missing time or anything like that? Like when you decided mm-hmm. to go to the other party where you're like, wow, it's much later than I really thought it was. No. So the weird the weird part is that when I left, um, I went and started telling a friend I didn't tell him that someone spoke to me through God I was just like there's something I got to show you because I want to show him the stained glass sliding door how the ice rain just made this perfect pattern um and so I bring him back and he's just like amazed by it it just looked like it was a manufactured you know stained glass door yeah it was still there so so we come in and we're sitting at the kitchen table in my in my parents house and I say to him I ha- like I have to tell you something. I think Steve, or I think God, spoke to me through Steve. And the very second that I said this, this blue light shot through my whole kitchen. I've had he- that experience—the blue light shooting through oh, really? the house. I wow. have for sure had that yeah. experience, and it wow. freaked me out. And I was with my sister after I had been watching some anomalous object. And we have a podcast that we talk where Phil and I both talk about our UFO experiences. But that exact thing happened to me—just one shot. Blue, bluish, greenish kind of light, 
and uh, looked up in the sky, didn't see anything, but it was weird, you know what I mean? The, and, I, and he saw it too, and it was, you know, right as I'm telling him this thing, and the timing of it was Gives you chills just thinking about it. It's yeah, like, those, do you ever have, there's something I want to ask you immediately after this, because um, this is so awesome, but do you <laughs> ever have any, when you try to think back to that event, do, do you have any, like, a uh, lacunal amnesia about it, like, where your mind wants to forget it as you're remembering, and the only thing that kind of yeah. makes Okay, because I'm all about that stuff. I'm a weird. Well, I I am too. I am all about it. Yeah. And like when I look back to my experiences, I have a lot of uh, lacunal amnesia with it. Where when I try to think about it, as I'm retelling the story, my mind oh, will like, start just forgetting like it's a dream it. Dream or something you're saying? Like not really. Like I know it was real, but my mind will start forgetting what actually happened as I'm telling mm -hmm. it, as if like I have a memory block or something like that, or oh, okay. like it goes further than what actually just happened. And I know that's possible. Like. Common with well, I, I just mentioned the, I just mentioned the dream thing because you wake up and you only remember a dream for you know a few yeah, seconds. Like it's the gone. mind that wants like, to, and you know it, it was like the most important thing. It's like oh, I I figured out the cure for cancer. It's like oh, it's gone. It's like how do you forget something like that? <laughs> the uh, the design on the stained glass window. It's very interesting how you're saying that, or it looked like a stained glass window because mm. to me it's like okay, so ice is water. And uh, we know that, you know, when you vibrate like sand or water or give it, tell it like you tell water love, you know, you write love in the water bottle, it forms those ice crystals yeah. into these very geometric, like it's like sacred geometry, the shapes or you put it to, uh, you vibrate it to the frequency of, um, you know, a certain key or something or a certain frequency. I forgot and what that's it'll, called. So, yeah, it could, yeah. Have been, it could have been the energy field, like call it God or whatever you want to call it. It could have been that his presence there was causing this. Or shift. if you even want to go further with it, it could even be a positive ET craft maybe that could have made that vibration outside. that was outside, you know. Did you guys get a picture of it? No, which is crazy, but that, I didn't even have a cell phone back then. I don't think so. Yeah, that was before. Like we all had cell phones with us everywhere. Yeah. Wow. But I have two friends that remember it quite well. So <laughs> it's good. To, it's always good to have cooperation when it comes to things like that. Mm. Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, so yeah. I mean, you know, you've had some pretty amazing experiences, and 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 why don't you give us a little um, background? I can tell you. I, Sorry, I can tell you one more thing that happened to me sure. quite often around that time when these kind of mysterious events were unfolding. Um, I know there's a lot of people who are obsessed with like numbers and numerology, um, but I wouldn't call myself one of those people. I, the way that I explain it is that the number was obsessed with me because I, it wasn't like I was looking at the clock every few minutes trying to see a certain number. It was. I had this experience too. I'm really so, interested to see what number you say. It was 23. And okay. this was before the number 23 the movie. movie came out and all this stuff. Because I, I hated that movie. It's just totally not what the number meant to me. But I, I'll tell you, like, um, that whole summer, every time I would come home. And like I said, I didn't have a cell phone. So I'd just be hanging out with friends and say, okay, I'm going to leave. Every time I would come through my parents' backyard and in through the back door, right as I would come inside, it'd be 1223 on the, the kitchen clock. And a lot of the times it would be like, right when I looked at it, it would change from 22 to 23, like the split second. And then if I was like eating a bowl of cereal, like getting ready for bed, I'd lay down in bed, look at the clock, 123, wake up in the morning, 1023. As I get in the car, turn it on, 1123. And I was, I was dating a girl at the time, her house number was 23. She was born on November 23rd. 
it just it was crazy i had the same exact same exact like to the weirdest weirdest degree where you're like this is so far beyond coincidence this is actually so far beyond synchronicity that Mm -hmm. this is like a direct i don't know communication or something and like i became obsessed with it too like you know it's like you said like the number became obsessed with me like Mm -hmm. so my numbers after my um ufo experiences were um 314 or any variation of it 413 you know however way you want to put it uh on all clocks all the time you know 1034 you know whatever it was um Mm -hmm. 251 1111 and 316 and any different variation of those numbers but seeing them everywhere it got to the point where i started watching tv shows and in the tv show the main character would be going getting out of a cab that had one of those numbers up to apartment 314 or something like within the same scene multiple like multiple times a day like i was freaking out a little bit you know so far beyond coincidence so far beyond synchronicity can i yeah go for it can i ask you uh what what it made you feel when you saw the number because for me um it was like this reassuring thing that like it almost felt like something was communicating with me like um another life form or something from another dimension was saying hey like i'm trying to tell you that i'm here i'm watching you it was that kind of feeling it was um and then if i would ever see like 1224 like walking in my back it was because i was having a bad night or i was like not being fair to myself or whatever you know it was and i was like oh it was kind of a reminder like oh i you know i should smarten up and then well for me at the time i think i got so consumed with being hyper aware of i don't know if you've ever had that a feeling when you see a ufo where you're trying to find them and you look at them and you know that they're looking back at you you just like intuitionally know right have you ever had no, that I, no i haven't had that kind of experience well most of my experiences were, were really seeking them like human initiated contact that's how this my all my experiences started it wasn't through meditation it was just like if you're out there mm-hmm. i'm ready you know i'm ready like i went so far out with like my energy and like my consciousness and this is before i was even in tune to spirituality this is before i was even meditating uh i just kind of harnessed what i guess was maybe my third eye and mm-hmm. just connected and I started seeing things there you go seeing seeing these objects in the sky and um, and then I was to the point where I realized like I could tell them which ways I wanted them to move in the sky and another oh, wow. one of my buddies had that same experience but there was only one way that they would move but in my head I thought I was controlling it but then when I heard my buddy say it, it was the same movements it was left I guess for them it's left that's really weird thinking about this, but yeah. left, right, <laughs> up, down. And when right. my buddy told me that too, it was like, and I never told him the story and we lived a couple, like a mile away from each other. I like lost it because I didn't want to tell anybody because I thought I looked like a lunatic. Mm. And then he said that verbatim when he wow. had a UFO sighting because we lived in the same area. And that just like shocked me, you know, you can't explain that. Um, but as far as getting back to your you know, original question when you said like, what did I feel? Like, I was feeling a lot of fear during that time. Like, a lot of fear. And, you know, the, the more I've researched the subject, there's that possibility of it could be self-induced fear. And now, after coming out of it and kind of having, like, a, an awakening from it and, and, like, getting so into all these topics, wanting to figure out, like, why does the rest of the world not know that this is real? 
like when I saw these things, I thought I was the first person to ever see a UFO that wasn't crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then I, you know, start finding, get, getting deeper, getting into like, you know, the Illuminati, like the power control structure, like, you know, how far this whole thing goes with UFOs. And uh, I got very, you know, I became a researcher, you know, got very deep into it. And, um, but during that time, you know, it was just so new to me and so frightening. It was like, I thought we were the biggest, we were the top of the food chain. And now I know that we're not, it's just terrifying. But I think through that, it was like, you know, pain is the touchstone to all spiritual growth, yep. you know? And like, I oh, went through sure. so much fear and pain during that time that I came out of it and just became this new man as a result of it and said, that's about as fear as I can get in my entire life. I don't want to live that way anymore. And there's a possibility that it inspired the fear in me so that I could come out stronger than ever. You know, I need to go through that dark night of the soul. And sure. um, I did walk away with some songs because I'm a musician and uh, audio engineer and uh, recording a bunch of songs for my band that like, I didn't know what was going on at the time, but I just had this push to just write all these super progressive songs that just nonstop. I literally wrote like four albums worth of material in like two years. And uh, in that process, one of the songs was called The Portal Opener. You know, I started dealing with some of these subjects and like portals and, and stargates and stuff like that. And I didn't know it at the time, but I put those numbers that I had been seeing in the song. And I said how those numbers were the access codes to the time portals to open to gain entry to the fourth dimension. <laughs> and then I start looking into the numbers a little bit more after that. And I'm like, okay, 314 is like pi. And, uh, right. you know, and then 1111 and then 251 and then 316. And just like, I forget exactly the um, whole context of how I figured it out. But somehow I figured out that that had to do with portals. And uh, it, it had a lot to do with the song once I researched more into it. And it totally blew my mind. And, you know, I was just going off intuition what I felt like needed to be done. And, I, you know, I think I might have came out through that with, like, you know, some downloads. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty... Yeah, Grant Cameron talks a lot about the downloads, too, eh? I've heard him talk about that, yeah. What did yeah. he talk about in the film about that? Uh, no, not in the film. He, he mainly focused on, um, uh, like, rock and rolls, uh, the influence on extraterrestrials on rock and roll, like musicians, like how John Lennon has the, um, the story of seeing the UFO with uh, Minnie Pang. They're in both New- standing, standing there naked on New the balcony York, right? of the Dakota, yeah. yeah. And he said it was so close that he could hit it with a rock. And he talks a bit about the missing time. Hmm. Um, because I think, um, well, it's kind of similar to um, to my case where all my friends turned off and like they were just like these drones in the room, not active anymore. May Peng claims that when they saw this UFO, like there was no one else around, like no cars driving on the street below and like no one in the balconies and apartments. So it was just like time stopped, right? Well, that's the weird thing about the whole people getting shut off or is time sh- uh, stopping situation when these uh, events happen I think it was a uh, Linda Moulton Howe or maybe Yvonne Smith uh, who was talking about an event where some people got shut off at a party just like where you were at and the mm. thing that I found very compelling about that is that one person stayed conscious and a bunch yep. of the other people turned off but one of the people who turned off was smoking a cigarette and the cigarette continued burning all the way down to the butt until oh it stopped burning into, oh in God, the entire situation. Really so that's to me, crazy. to me, that shows that time isn't actually stopping. People are just turning off. Mm. 
That's how I interpret that. It's interesting. That like blew me away when I heard that. Mm -hmm. See, it's weird because since I was a little kid, I always watched, I was a Star Trek fan. And so the idea of, you know, racial, of, of multiple, you know, extraterrestrial races is so common and so ingrained in me. That it doesn't. It's not. If an, if an extra, extraterrestrial landed in front of me and said hello, I just put my hand out and shake it. Like it's not. And there's no. There's not going to be any fear there. There's not going to be anything. I'm just going to really be fascinated by looking at this being and saying, "Wow, hi." You know. For sure. Yeah. There. That's one of the biggest problems is the xenophobia, and that's you know, that's going to be why there's this weaponization of space kind of thing, right? Or militarization of space. Um, and that's one thing like. I'm kind of afraid of too when you see these movies like Independence Day, and it's just showing aliens in a bad light, right? They always just, do that, and, yeah. and and it's like, and when they do show an alien or an extraterrestrial movie like where the alien e. is nice, ET. Yeah. What's that other one with the little um, Super Eight? Super Paul? Eight. What? Well, that one? Nice? No, Super Eight was a he, that was a, like a like a Godzilla thingy. I just like the kids in that. Um, one. <laughs> um what's the other one? It's Paul. Directing the movie. Paul. That's Paul. You know, and they're and they all look. You know, they have blue eyes, and they're like, "Hi!" And you know, and it's like, <laughs> and and it's silly, and it's goofy, and they're getting drunk, and they're like doing all this stuff, and so they don't really. They're skirting around the real issue here, and they're really, sure. you know, the there's a there's a rumor out there that from in the community that there's going to be a fake alien invasion. Yeah, we talk about that in the yeah, film. To, you know, because we need a new enemy now. Um, the the control system always needs an enemy, and the whole oh, yeah. Al Qaeda military industrial yeah, complex. They need yeah. something to fight, or we are you know, or there's no way for them to justify the wars. Yeah. Well, I they think lose, as far as the, the the fake alien invasion, you know, we're talking about Project Blue Beam, and th there's actual like documents, you know, like uh, that um, some people have gotten into, you know, like Nick Redfern has gotten into that, and. Uh, well, actually, I was just on a conference call with Stephen Greer because I donated to the, the Kickstarter fund for his new movie, uh, Unacknowledged. Mm -hmm. And uh, he actually, like, ha he has an interview that's going into the film where he interviews some, like, high uh, military officer who's, who says that we have been doing these um, fake alien abductions, like abducting people um, yeah, for whatever my labs. reasons to scare them. And, yeah, my labs, with, for with sure. The, uh, the ADRs or whatever. Well, or I know too that alien replica vehicles, ARVs, yeah, ARVs, yeah. The uh, the interesting thing about that is uh, that almost seems to me kind of like a side warfare because because like we have like my labs where there's military abductions where people who have been abducted by actual ETs, you know, the military finds out and has to go in and then they interrogate them because they need to know what happened in interaction. Because if you think about it, it's kind of a, a national security issue. <laughs> Yeah, and then, I think I, I I seem to think that it's rare that um, people are being abducted by actual aliens. I think Travis Walton's case is uh, an interesting one to note because I think the problem with Travis Walton is he, when the craft came down, everyone's still in the truck, and he runs out to try and go touch it or get near it. And I and you know if you watch the movie, they uh, they make it seem like uh, they they depict the story as if like the alien sent a beam down to electrocute him, like ah we want to zap him or whatever. But I think what actually happened, and Travis will talk about this new understanding he's come to, is that uh, he just got too close, and there's this you know electromagnetic field or whatever. So he got too close to whatever was happening, 
and you know got electrocuted or maybe even died and then the aliens were like we have to abduct this guy now or else it's going to be alien kills man right so they they abduct him as like a rescue mission kind of thing um but i don't i don't really know if there's like i'm sure there's been cases where people are are actually abducted right but uh that seems to be one of the the main ones where it's like oh no we just we have to abduct him because we got to save this guy's life now right yeah i think that was definitely a interesting case much different than you know what a lot of other people experience and it's unique therefore because of that uh, as far as you know people being abducted whether it's by et or military something else that it's really interesting that we can't discount is the uh the regression hypnosis uh, oh, accounts sure. yeah. you know like i've mm -hmm. just uh, we had barbara lamb on the show a couple months ago and uh you know i've seen barbara speak just so many times and like i've had dinner with her and like you know she told me a bunch of stories of stuff that i don't even think she's spoken publicly about oh, wow. and you know when, when you just when you hear some of those stories you know just then there's just so many she's been doing it for 25 years yeah. And uh, something that I found that was very interesting, and you don't hear about this a lot, is that I've heard this in a couple abductee cases where some people who have ET abductions, some people who have military abductions, and some people, there's military abductions where they actually will dress up like an ET. And the, um, the abductee in the regression hypnosis was able to, they thought that they were like drugged enough that they wouldn't be able to tell, but they were actually able to get close enough to see that the ET, it wasn't an ET, it was a human in like a costume. Oh, wow. And you could see the cloth, like on the wow. face. And uh, they had them drugged up enough, like where they thought they wouldn't be able to notice, but they just played along with it because they didn't want to, like, you know, deal with the repercussions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think some of it is psi warfare, some of it is uh, interrogation, you know, and some of it could be actual, like, ET abduction. Who knows? For sure, yeah. It's so muddled because you just don't know. And and what would be the end game of a of a thing like that? Like I've always I've 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 heard this before, and I and I thought to myself, why would you? I mean, after the Eisenhower thing, where Eisenhower you know made the treaty with the Greys, and they said, you know, we'll abduct a certain number of people every year, and then they just lied and just started taking everyone, and the numbers like so. At what point does the does the uh, does the shadow government or the black ops people go? Okay, wow, we have a huge problem here. We need to we need to do some damage control on this, and we also need to stop it mm -hmm. because at some point, you know, at some point, um, there's too many people out there going, "Hey, I got abducted. Hey, I got abducted," and you know, and then the hybrid babies start, and then people are starting being brought up to the crafts to be shown their children yeah. that you know. Well, and, <laughs> We should men we should mention the uh, the X file X Files uh, episode in the the reboot the recent yeah. uh, the episode one was just like a full disclosure of all this real stuff. Even yeah. Stephen Greer was like, they just stole everything I've been, you know, teaching for the last twenty years or whatever. Um, and they did it in about a five minute period, which is so impressive. Yeah, it really <laughs> they was. Just like laid it out. It's like, oh wow. Yeah. And then they sort of masked it over with all that other whatever the hell happened after that. Like it was all bad. <laughs> But yeah. I just I just couldn't it was almost unwatchable for me but that first episode was I was like I my jaw hit the floor I was like wow mm. here we go but it's funny because now when anyone talks about this stuff you'd be like oh that's that's just an X Files episode you know right. what I mean and that may have been the idea I haven't right heard there. anyone yeah. do that though I have a, you have yeah like I did they did it in a way where it just felt so friggin real 
mm-hmm. when they were saying it. Like they weren't trying to be tongue in cheek about it. They were like very grim almost about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I was kind of wondering. Though. I was kind of wondering like who let this thing come out. Who let that <laughs> you know? slip? Yeah. Yeah, and who who was the writer behind it? Like really, I don't know. It's very strange. Yeah, it's it's, you know, it's weird because like I was saying before, you know, once once I stepped out of the matrix and I look at these things, I look at everything. Um, it's like looking up, like standing above it. Not that I'm better than anybody, but I'm I'm looking above it like a chess game. Mm-hmm. And instead of being involved in it, and because when you're involved in it, there's an emotional attachment to it, um, to everything, everything we see on TV. The whole thing is designed to elicit an, an emotional response out of you um like you you know you talked about um you know your your 9-11 um experiences i had a visceral reaction to this whole experience when i watched it on tv and there it was kind of split it was oh my god this is actually happening and then my next thought was why are we doing this what's the right. end game because it never occurred to me that the story that they told us on the news was true, not even remotely told. Like, no. I was like, "Oh, please!" I said, "You you drop two, you know, one hundred and nine story towers in a fireball, but yet the passports survive." And now we've had three other incidences in which there's fire bombings and people are killed, but the passports survive. So, you know, come on now, let's let, you know, and and so, I, I actually just interviewed the UK researcher. Um, Andrew Johnson and he's kind of um, he kind of works closely with Judy Wood I don't know if you're familiar with her uh, yeah she's a forensic scientist and um, yeah I I kind of uh, see a lot of truth in her examination of the events that uh, the buildings just pretty much turned to dust yeah Um, because it does to me it doesn't even look like a controlled demolition like we can say for sure the planes didn't bring those towers down how they came down but you have like these steel beams falling from the sky, just oh, they turn to dust, and like everything above the lobby is just dust, dustified, and it's just gone. You don't have the um, the, the the rubble, you know, like it's just everything's gone. Yeah. When <laughs> I saw that, I immediately went, "What did we just see? Like, mm-hmm. what was this?" Because it wasn't. I watched, you know, I went to Las Vegas on a couple of occasions and watched them demolish. Um, some of the hotels that I used to stay in when I was younger. And when you watch a demolition of a building and you can see it, and that's Tower 7, that was a controlled demolition. Yeah, for It sure. was real clear. Um, what do you think it was and what, and how did you come to that conclusion or what, what evidence did you have or bring to um, that? From looking at the Judy Wood evidence, it seems to me that it was um, – it was an energy phenomenon, so it was something similar to, you know, electromagnetics. It was they say it was a free energy weapon. So whether you're talking about like, um, you know, something similar to Tesla technology or something like this, um, but it was a directed free energy weapon. Um, and there was a shift in the Earth magnetic field during each tower drop. You see this huge shift in the Earth in the Earth magnetic field. You have um, different accounts of people being lifted, levitated blocks and carried blocks during this event. Like I think one, there was one uh, journalist or something who tells a story about how when these towers were coming down, he was lifted up in the air and carried a couple blocks. So like to me, that it's just an energy, an energy phenomenon that's going to turn this entire 
building just into dust. So what else? What else can do earth. that? It was feeding off the earth. You think? Yeah, and there was also this huge hurricane that was just off the shore at the time too. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Some people speculate that it did, but I'm not too certain. Yeah, I'd heard about that too. So possible, possibly could have even came from a heart facility or from a Pine Gap. It could have, but I, I, I think that we're looking at something even more powerful, something that none of us have seen yet. And mm. I honestly think that, and it's weird because, and I've said this to many of my friends, I said, ever since 9-11 happened, I feel like the earth, like the, like the safety net of the planet dropped out. Like there sure. was, like we, like we may have even shifted time, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Time, um, uh, time stream or time. We shifted time into lines. a different time. Um, Timelines. Thank you. Timeline. Wow, that went right out of my head. Um, <laughs> and because everything feels different from that moment forward, like not that I don't feel any less or more safe than I did before, but I just feel like everything's faster and less. And there's more chaos and there's mm -hmm. more. Um, and people, the, the country that I lived in prior to that moment, the image in my head of America when I was a little kid is not existing. It just doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And I don't know whether it's because I'm getting older and I know more or whether it's because I don't have that visceral reaction to it anymore because I've done so much research on this. And I, and I concur with you. I believe that whatever it was that hit those towers was unlike anything we've ever seen before. And it's really going to be interesting to find out what it was because I really want to know the mechanisms of how it works. Because that For was sure. pretty frightening. And mm -hmm. have we used it before? I mean, will we use it again? Well, I think, I think uh, we may have used it to target UFOs and shoot them down, which is another scary thing, right? To think that, you know, these things have, have never shown to mean us any harm as far as I can tell. You know, they just show up and they're being more... A, observers than anything and uh to think that we're just shooting them down and they're still being friendly to us like how long are they gonna remain friendly um especially if we are trying to venture out further into space with some of this these weapons it's like they're not gonna let that happen no, no and that and, and that's why i think i think there is like a lot of there may be some bad aliens out there but i think there's got to be some form of policing on the universe where i would say it, it could even be 50-50, but in my mind, I would think once you re reach a certain level of consciousness or intelligence, you're going to be more peaceful than evil. But maybe that's just silly of me to think. But I would think that if there is a bigger percentage of the good aliens, that they're sort of creating this policing, you know what I mean? That they're not going to let the bad ones go out and start destroying everything. Well, I mean, part of what I've been hearing, too, is that, is that our solar system is more like a penal colony. It's sort of like a resting spot for, for um, negative ETs that have um, violated whatever laws exist in the universe. And that, that's part of the reason why we see some, we're hearing so much about this, that our, our, our in, entire um, existence maybe is a direct result of um, genetic manipulation of some, of some being that was here before. That no longer exists. That has a you know, or you know, a combination of several different things, mm -hmm. and that there's a lot of stuff being being you know, the the very idea that we would go into space in the condition that we're in right now and go to try to colonize Mars, which Corey Good has already stated on pretty emphatically, is already colonized. Already colonized. There are you know millions of people that actually live on Mars, and there's two or three indigenous beings that survived the cataclysm 
And so here we come, you know, super monkeys coming out into space with our, you know, our, our energy weapon that is that we don't understand how it works. And here we are. Hello. And we're going to mount it on ships and try and, you know, say hi to the people of the universe. I think we're in I think we're in for a rude, frightening shock when we find out what's really going on. And when America and the world finds out, you know, with all of the secret space program stuff that's now starting to leak out the vastness of what's really going on out there. It's so f amazing and, and mm. it's going to change the entire history of our planet. And that's the reason why the control system is trying so hard to distract us with these, with this so-called election and all this other, other crap. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I feel like we're going to see a lot in our lifetime. Oh, yeah. like it, just, it just really feels like things are building at a rapid pace and that Hopefully it brings about a new consciousness or coherence, you know, that on that level, I totally, I, t I've been thinking, so I've been kind of quiet, just like listening to you guys, you know what I mean? And like, <laughs> I really got this intense vision in my head of like pretty much exactly what you were just talking about, where it's like, it has to be this blend of both things, you know, it's like, like you were saying, Phil, it's like, there's a possibility that we were, you know, genetically manipulated you know, possibly by Anunnaki, and let's say that's the case. Let's just start there. Let's say that's the case. It's kind of like we're like seeds. They plant our seeds. They we're seeds. They harvest us, and then they feed off it. Because if they're negative beings, like supposedly what the insiders are saying, that they they feed off fear. So we're being harvested for fear. But in that process, we're still conscious beings. That's like the loophole. It's like yeah. they have to harvest the conscious seed. And then in that process, we're going through a more rapid spiritual growth because of all the negative. So we're reliving all of our karma in this lifetime. And that's why things may be going so quickly. And I think 9-11 might have been the catalyst of even more fear farming. Right. And this catapult of time almost moving faster because I have definitely noticed the time going extremely it feels fast. Everything just, feels It feels different. so much quicker. And I think part of that is that our vibration is is uh, speeding up. Yeah, it's not necessarily time. It's uh, the way we're experiencing time based off how fast we're vibrating within our spirituality and how much we're relieving karma in the process. And there's so much. There's so many different levels to this. That that you know, what if the 9/11 attacks was had twofold? It was for the earthbound beings that are negative that want to create war to you know because they're stuck in the matrix and they're stuck in the i must make money i must be rich i must have power thing but on a cosmic level it was something that started the catalyst of changing the vibration of the planet it needed to happen it's like a junkie well, he's his fix he's gonna do it in the most crazy way even though just to get his fix even though he might have to go to jail and not mm -hmm. be able to use for a week but he's still gonna do it he's and get that fix yeah. for that one time even though he might be locked up in jail for the next week. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Uh, we talked to Tom Clearwater um, as part of the film, and he talks a lot about scalar humanity and basically how humans are ba basically like a versions of like a Tesla coil. Um, so there's this polarity, and it kind of relates to what you guys are saying in the sense that, um, you know, because we would talk to Tom about certain things that we think are bad, you know, just what's going on on the planet. And he, and he would say like, well, no, you need that negative to bring about consciousness or coherence yeah. because if everything was just positive, um, 
basically like basically Tesla technology it uses polarity to tap into the core of what matter is and it's a coherent science because it runs off pretty much the fund fundamentals of nature this polarity that's in exists in everything right um, so that that technology has the power to do so much good but then so much evil as we've seen in the 9-11 case right so but wow. it's just interesting talking about polarity it's like you, ha you have to realize that, yeah, these things are bad, but they're also bringing about a new consciousness shift. On your bio, it also talks about you getting into alternative health and, like, cancer cures. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this is a good time to kind of get into that topic because we're For talking sure. about technology that brings about using positive or negative energy to help us, you know, either mm -hmm. grow spiritually or possibly even physically, too. Uh, yep. Literally two nights ago, I just read an article from um, a website that I'm subscribed to called, uh, I think it's called the healthybackinstitute.com. And this okay. guy's really on the cutting edge of finding new good technologies and ways of staying healthy. And he just published this, he didn't publish it, but he brought it back to light of um, this woman who is like in her 90s now, who's using positive and negative frequencies to completely phase out uh, cancer and how a lot of it's related back to parasites within the body and has nothing to do with what we're trying to use to treat it. Right. And well, Tom, it Tom was speaking of, yeah, Tom was talking about how with this Tesla technology, you can pretty much just vibrate the disease away. You phase it out of existence. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's like the same thing in the audio world, you know, like if, if uh, you're, you know, you have to deal with phase when you're working with audio and you can literally, if you do the phase in a certain way, you can make it so that you don't even hear anything. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's a very powerful thing. So that and audio is all vibration, right? You know, we're picking up with this microphone as we're speaking right now, auto, uh, waveforms, and all the waveform is is picking up vibration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so could you give us a little bit more on on what you found out, uh, the health wise stuff that you've been talking about, and and what you um, and yeah, and for sure. Um, when I was a kid, I was also I was fascinated by the the idea of being the the person to discover the cure for cancer. But the way that I looked at it back then is like you you kind of had to be a scientist, and you kind of had to like be in a lab looking under a microscope, you know. And it was all kind of chemically based or whatever. But I think using that reductionist view um, for medicine is the wrong way to go. You got to take like a whole body approach. Um, and I was suffering with like extreme allergies all my life, like uh, rashes on my scalp, like face, arms. Um, just I basically had hives if I wasn't on Benadryl 24 7. Um, so, you know, I wanted to, I was researching my whole life. I didn't want to live a life like this forever, but it just seemed that I, that I would because I tried every diet and nothing was working, right? Um, so I've read this book called uh, The 80 10 10 Diet. And that's just basically a ratio, 80% carbs, 10% fat, 10% protein. But um, the book basically outlines a fruitarian approach. So you're basically eating the way that you would in, in nature, so to speak. So um, so I'll just outline a day, a day in the life for me. I might wake up and eat a watermelon or two for breakfast. And then I wait a few hours, eat a few bags of grapes, wait a few hours. Like I'm eating very simply like you would like a monkey wouldn't eat in nature you wouldn't like he wouldn't be making a like I do eat salad but you know what I mean he wouldn't be mixing all these different things at once you kind of it's when you simplify the digestion 
digestion down like that. You're you're absorbing more nutrients. You're not creating um, toxins from the you know um, undigested proteins or starches or whatever. Um, so there's even certain foods um, if you eat them together, like protein and starches, which everyone eats sandwiches, hot dogs, or whatever. It's uh, you're you're gonna end up like fermenting the starches and the proteins will rot and all this stuff. So basically it's an approach where you're eating foods that are still alive, uncooked foods, um, and you're eating them in combination so that they digest and assimilate uh, effectively. And and so, yeah, like you don't really have cancer forming in, in bodies that are eating this, you know, uh, eating this healthy, but it also has a lot to do with the acid alkaline balance, right? So a lot of foods are acid forming cancer lives in an acid forming or an acidic environment. So if you're eating all these alkaline foods, um, which are all fruits and vegetables, then it's, it's really, um, you're not providing the environment for cancer to grow. Right. But then the other thing is, um, we also have to be aware that even these, or if you're buying all organic, even these fruits are being grown in soil that is deficient in all the nutrients that should be there. Like farmers are only, I think it's like, I forget what their fertilizer is called, NPK or something, but they're only using like the three kind of nutrients that are needed to grow and our bodies need upwards of 60 or whatever that's in the soil, right? So the workaround that I found for that is there's this supplement called um, barley grass juice powder and all it is, it's barley grass grown in the most nutrition, or nutritious uh, soil and it's harvested at its like peak nutritional moment you know because like we also harvest fruits before they're fully ripe and all this stuff and you're you're getting less nutrients if you're picking them before they're ready right right so anyways so they juice this barley grass and then they dry it at low temperatures so it's it's not cooked it's just dehydrated or whatever and it, it's made into a powder so what you get is just essentially this raw barley grass juice powder and it's just full of all it's like nature's multivitamin there's no fillers all it is is just all the nutrients that were grown in this nutritionally dense soil and then harvested at its peak nutrition, you know, peak uh, moment where it had, you know, it's absorbed all the chromium, everything that even these nutrients that, you know, take longer to absorb into the plants, they're waiting for them to, um, to the right, for the right moment. And uh, yeah, you just put this in your, your smoothies or juices or whatever, and it's adding a lot of those extra nutrients that are lacking in the soil. So, and then, so here's, here's another uh, thing to add. Even if you have a person doing all this, you know, you know perfect diet, they're adding the barley grass, um, they're, they're, they're doing the proper food combining, um, you can still run into iodine deficiency because they're, you know, that's, that's one of the major things lacking in our soil. But, um, we, we actually need it more than we did before because we're being bombarded by the other halides like bromide chlorine, fluoride, and all these things are pushing iodine out of the body because they have different different uh, molecular weights and a lot of them are, I don't know if it's, you know, some are smaller, some are heavier, whatever, but they, some of them, if you're going to take an equal amount of iodine, equal amount of bromide, the bromide's going to overpower the iodine, right? And so you can have a brominated thyroid where uh, instead, if your body's not taking enough iodine, bro the bromide just fits in its slot like a key in a lock. It's just like, oh, I, I fit in here, but it's toxic, right? And it's doing, 
it's doing damage. Like that's why women are getting breast cancer because they're low in iodine or their bodies are too acidic. Do you um, take a iodine supplement, like a nascent iodine? Uh, I take, um, it's basically, you know, the Lugol's formula. It's like a certain percentage of potassium iodide and iodine or something, but they've made it into tablets. Um, and yeah, mo most stuff that I try and find around in health stores is just no good. Um, Let me ask you a, a question about the, uh, wait, hold on one sec. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. I just had a pop up on the computer. Um, okay. So I did a bunch of research on iodine about a year or two ago. And all the stuff you're saying is making sense. And I feel like there's this disconnect between the understanding of how important iodine is for the body right now compared to the mm -hmm. Western medical world, the medical doctors. Because um, I explained this all to my mother, and she got us some nascent iodine. Mm -hmm. um, but when she talked about it with her doctor, the doctor was just not about it at all. I was saying, no, okay. you can't take this. It's too dangerous and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And... Uh, you know, what have you found with the difference between what a medical doctor will say about it compared to what you're learning? Well, I think they only, um, some of them only get, what is it, like seven hours of nutritional training in their whole medical schooling or something. They don't really know a lot about the fundamentals of how the body works and how it reacts to certain mineral imbalances or vitamin imbalances. They're more so like, what uh you know what new medication is going to be a quick fix for this problem yeah. you know i think i think there is great use for like emergency room doctors like in those cases they're you know i'm not a and we're back hey <laughs> hey yeah we got you picking up on the audio too so yeah we had a little fallout there but we are back yep and uh yeah mitch so just continue uh where we left off i can't see you guys anymore can't see us we can see you perfect. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's not fair. <laughs> um, so Do you yeah, want me to just finish that thought maybe about the yeah, fasting? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can take it from the start, kind of summarize it. Um, so yeah, I did a 10-day water fast at True North. And, um, you know, there was like 80-year-olds there that were on day like 21 or 27 of their fast and they're walking around like it's a normal day like nothing's wrong and uh, You know any normal person would probably think oh, you know someone of that age could not go a day without food Or they're gonna be too weak or die or whatever right like some people can't miss a meal and you know They get cranky um, so anyways a 10-day fast is relatively short um, for water fasting at true north but um yeah, after about two days, your body goes into ketosis and it starts burning fat for fuel. So even if you're a really healthy person and you're eating a raw vegan diet um, for 20 years or whatever, you may still have toxins that are stored in fatty tissue that just um, can't break down on uh, you know a daily basis where you're um, you're constantly eating food and it has to be digested and all this stuff and maybe you're eating too late at night and then you wake up and you eat right away so you know you're only having this like six hour window or seven hour window where you're not eating and your body can't do much detoxifying or healing in that time so a water fast is just you just get out of your body's way and when you're burning fat for fuel you start chipping away at some of these toxins that are stored in fatty tissue so someone who eats super healthy can actually 
detox some gross stuff on a, a long fast and get rid of some lifelong uh, problems, whether it's, um, yeah, arthritis or certain types of diabetes or, um, yeah, I mean, fasting has shown to pretty much cure everything. For a while, I thought cancer was one thing it didn't affect, and then True North just published a study where this woman was pretty much given the, you know, a couple months to live and she went and fasted for like 28 days and her tumor is completely gone that's Doctor. so incredible i mean this wow. is the yeah. first time that i've actually like heard somebody talk this way about fasting and now it like completely hit me in a brand new way and it made so much me more too. sense like the validity and why it's important to do it oh, actually. for sure mm -hmm. so what is yeah, the true north it's is there like a website we can find when they post new publishing when they publish new yeah things? they're just they're the health center in santa rosa california and the doctors there are dr alan goldhammer and michael clapper and they're they're just brilliant plant-based doctors um they their diet focuses more on um cooked kind of starches more like the john mcdougall diet uh and it's it's still healthy too but in my mind focusing more on you know raw fruits and uh, and simplified meals um, is a lot cleaner and but the barley grass adding that in and and having the iodine too if you're low in iodine I, um, my mom had a couple breast cysts and uh, I didn't even really switch her diet too much I just said you have to get off cheese because cheese promotes tumor growth more than anything sorry to you know for those pizza eaters out there Rats. cheese lovers <laughs> that's one I'm one of yeah. those people yeah, I would say, you know, people are trying, like, oh, I shouldn't eat red meat and all this stuff. But cheese is, like, I would say it's the deadliest food out there. Really. Well, is it actually cheese or is it, like, you know, a cow that is being pumped with uh, genetically modified both bovine growth hormone or well, GMO the, the, feed, you know? Well, I would say that even organic um, dairy uh, has the protein casein. So casein is found in milk, but it's even more concentrated in cheese. And the China study, um, which was head up by uh, Colin T. Campbell, um, is the largest nutritional study ever conducted, if you look it up. And basically, they proved that um, casein, the protein in milk, has the ability to turn on and off cancer growth. Um, so yeah, like if you're feeding it to rats, um, or even they looked at huge populations in um, in China, you know, some of these places where they just can't afford meat or dairy and they're pretty much free of all these autoimmune diseases and then you start moving into the populations where oh they they have uh you know they they can afford milk or meat or whatever and then you start to see all these diabetes or or whatever it is cancers um other um, autoimmune diseases so there's and there's clearly a pattern it was just you know undeniable um and when these when these rats, I know rats aren't humans, but that's why they also did these human studies and and these observations of all these uh, these um, you know different areas of people living in you know rural areas of China or whatever. Um, but yeah, anyways, when these cats were or when these rats were fed um, plant based protein, they didn't get uh, tumor growth even at higher percentages of the protein they. The tumors didn't grow, but once you you know introduce this um, casein milk protein at percentages above whatever five percent or whatever it is, it's yeah rapid tumor growth. Um, 
That's really interesting. A lot of things are kind of connecting for me now with you kind of bringing that in there because, you know, I've seen some stuff talking about that and uh, you just kind of brought both worlds together there. It's, it's yeah, incredible, it, man. You're really well knowledgeable in both these yeah. fields. Like, like, no, I, one listens, like no one listens to me, though. Not my girlfriend. Not a... <laughs> It's hard to get people to listen. And something that I've learned, you know, is like, especially someone you're in a relationship with, you know, but something that I've learned is, is like, you know, they're on their own, like, spiritual path and their own karmic path. And they're, for sure. you can just kind of, you know, nudge them in the right direction, but not be, like shake them by the shirt and be like, you need to know this. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, hard and, not to and do also, that. And also, I don't think um, I would want to live with someone or date someone like exactly like me, you know, because it's, I think it goes back to that whole polarity thing. Like I wouldn't be the person that I am without her because she is totally a different person. It makes me see things that I in a different light than I would normally see them, right? So, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. yeah, man. I just got out of a relationship, and it was very much that same way. And you know, I I learned so much about myself by being in that, like, you know, that polarity, mm. you know. And I really yeah, feel yeah. like I grew, I grew so much as a man, and just you know, on a spiritual level, like through that, to see the other sides of things that I've never tried to even look at before. And uh, Eckhart Tolle actually has helped us both tremendously when we read. Uh, have you have you heard of the book The Power of Now? Yes. Yeah, I read it. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Changed my life. <laughs> Changed a lot of people's life, and mm -hmm. I wish we could incorporate some of its um, tenets a little bit more readily in um, in our society. We'd be a much healthier uh, group of people if we did that. Yeah. It's um, yeah. I mean, I you know, I've I've uh, I've reached the pinnacle of becoming 50 years old, and I and I never thought that I would live this long based on the lifestyle that I was leading up until you know the last few years. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, now that I'm here, I really want to make it to 100, and so I'm always interested in finding out ways that people are doing. You know, it's, I'm I grew up in a I grew up in Colorado, so we were a meat we were a meat and cheese and 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 that's how we were raised and that's how I was mm -hmm. raised and fast food and and um, you know it worked out fine for a while, but when I turned thirty, I blew up. I mean, I just literally like my my metabolism shut down, and I just started packing on weight, and mm -hmm. I was so stunned that at how fast it came on, and it's taken twenty years and it's still on there, so it's. Well Go ahead. I can t I can tell you this the um, the diet that I eat this like raw vegan diet I do eat from time to time I have um, steamed sweet potatoes because I think they're uh, some of the longest living people on earth I think it's the Okinawans they're living till you know in, into their hundreds and tens or whatever and their diet is basically ninety percent sweet potato and then wild berries or whatever else they're eating right but it's that's the basis of their diet and uh, they're you know if they're living the longest then we have to you know, um, I, I, you know, they, they have to be healthy foods, these, these steamed sweet potatoes. So yeah. And I feel great on them, but, um, I would not wake up and eat cooked food for breakfast or for lunch. It's always like at the end of the day. And that, and that there's something to be said about food sequencing too, not just food combining, but the way that you sequence your foods throughout the day, because each food has a certain, um, rate of digestion so like i would wake up and eat a watermelon first because it would digest really quick because it's mainly like water right right you would so people that like have um you know have a steak dinner and then they have watermelon for dessert and it hurts their stomach and they're like oh like i don't like watermelon or something it's because like you 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 can't really 
eat a food that takes 15 minutes to digest on an empty stomach. You can't eat it after a food that's going to take six, seven hours to digest because it'll just get held up in the digestion, you know, in your stomach and ferment and just be caught there. Like it, the it, craziest thing about like getting into these deep things with health is like this is when like I started my UFO research, you know, and then I got into like the health issues of everything we're kind of talking about. And this can go so deep and so long, but this is like really the thing where the deeper and the deeper and the deeper you go into the health stuff, you really start to realize, I'm like, okay, this is something we can sink our teeth into that's actually factual or real no matter what. It's like, oh, yeah, we know, sure. we don't have to meet, a, it's like, whether we meet a gray alien or not, you know, is a different story. But this is something that is physical that we could touch, that we can see the data, yep. we can see the research, we can mm -hmm. see how it affects our body when we change things up, and it's real and it's tangible. And the deeper I get into this thing, I really start to think to myself, we have been lied to literally about everything that we think we know is true. And I think there's two forms of this awakening that people are going through. One is finding it out on our own and having the willingness to seek truth. Mm -hmm. And then two is possibility the time where one of our official quote unquote leaders, you know, tells us or a higher being that we've been lied to. And yes, the people researching this and saying this all along are all right. Like, cause, cause as a species, we need that like leader to tell us like, yes oh, or no know. for things to really sink in. And even us, I feel like being in the alternative community and researching these things, we still have those thoughts from time to time. I'm like, am I crazy? Like, is this really yeah, happening? Where like, there's a lot of information out there to sift through. Um, but I feel, yeah, I feel like I've become a good researcher. Um, just because I've been doing it my whole life out of necessity, I had all these health problems. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just, you know, I, it would be like every night for two or three hours, I wouldn't go out. I was embarrassed to go out with my friends, my skin or whatever. So I would just be researching, you know, and, and now I guess it's since I've kind of reached what I think is the pinnacle of learning about health. It's like, what else can I learn about now? Right. Um, I mean, but, so um, I wanted to start, uh, wrapping it up in just a little bit, Yeah. Oh, for but sure. I wanted to steer back towards uh, the film. I had a couple questions about the film before we wrap up. Um, totally. Like, so you interviewed Stanton Friedman. Yep. And I thought that was interesting because he's kind of more of like a nuts and bolts UFO guy and like the documents and stuff like that. Yeah. And your film's more about human initiated contact. What did Stanton have to say about that? Uh, we basically uh, just interviewed him about um, his knowledge about the Roswell case because okay. he was the first civi uh, civilian investigator. Uh, on on the case, so he interviewed some of the. Um, I can't remember the deputy or colonel, whoever whoever was there, but uh, yeah, he talked to these guys firsthand, and they told them that you know what actually happened. So while they were um, still alive, yeah, exactly. Like some some of them were uh, were dead when he uh, tried to reach out to them, but also he is uh, pretty famous for reviewing the mj12 documents did you get a chance to talk to him about that and i'm pretty sure he had no. a change in heart about it no he might have talked a bit about that during the conference but um yeah we only had a, a bit of time with him for the interview gotcha well were, are there any other like major points about the uh the film that you'd like to talk about or do you have any other questions phil phil um no i'm just i'm really looking forward to to, to seeing it i i'm i'm uh yeah, I can send you guys a private link because um, don't, you know, yeah, of course. You see it beforehand. Awesome.
that would be it, great. I'd are there any other that. like major uh, th- points in the film that you'd like to talk about to wrap up the show? Um. Oh yeah. So the Tom Clearwater guy that I I uh, spoke of a little bit. Uh, he has like a working like basically Tesla science machine in his house. So he shows us like how it works and basically like he held, um, you know, an LED light up to it and it just lit up like the, without plugging it in. It just lit right up. So that wow. was kind of cool. Yeah. What? Uh, I mean, we really have to get really to the cool. point where, where this kind of technology is readily available for everyone. Can you imagine what would happen if this was allowed in like third world countries. Yeah. Oh, I know. You know, I mean, whole civilizations could be changed and, and, and. Well, that's why Tesla was shut down because um, JP Morgan, who was funding the whole thing, was like, I can't put a, a price tag on this like invisible free energy. Because, you know, anyone right. can tap into it. How, do, how am I going to uh, put a meter on it? You know, right. monetize it. Yeah. yeah. So it's that's a sad why thing, but it's a. Uh you know the world we live in with uh, the business tycoons and 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 that's how we relate um this tech like this technology into the the film about ufos it's because tied to the ufo cover-up is the cover-up of the free energy technology right this electromagnetic technology it's like once you admit that ufos are real that implicit in that is like a post-petroleum global infrastructure because you know they're obviously using something other than petroleum to get from point a to point b so Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, gas doesn't gasoline doesn't work so well in space. I don't, yeah. <laughs> and when does the film come out, Mitch? Uh, so it's premiering at the AGH World Film Festival in Hamilton, Ontario, um, this Sunday, uh, October twenty third, twenty three. Again, there you go. Uh, <laughs> did you plan that? No. That's when <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, it's gonna hit hit festivals throughout like the fall and stuff, and then I'll put it out on Blu-ray, and the Blu-ray will have like some extended interviews and behind the scenes and that sort of thing. Awesome. You also uh, you have a, a new film coming out after that. Uh, Paul yeah, is dead. You yeah. want to talk a little about that? Yeah, it's basically uh, my character is setting out to prove that um, Paul McCartney died in 1966 and was replaced by um, a lookalike. <laughs> Um, so I know it sounds crazy, but um, yeah, there's a lot of clues in the uh, in the album artwork, um, in the songs, in the backwards messages, in just some of the 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 weird interviews, Heather Mills or Paul McCartney, and yeah, there's uh, you know if, if you examine like a few of the things individually, they might not seem too weird, but then when you see everything as a whole, you're like something's going on here. This is not a coincidence that everything points to Paul being dead and I mean there is the chance that he didn't die and they just they started this whole hoax to help with album sales and all this stuff but the the problem I have with that idea is that it's a cool idea for like a concept album but why does it span their whole career and why do these clues continue on to the solo work too is it just I, I don't know. It is a pretty cool like uh, idea for a concept album if you came up with it. So maybe as musicians, it's still their inspiration. Well, I will in- say this: like you know, the Beatles are definitely interested in like magic. Oh yeah, like, black that, magic. Yeah, black <laughs> magic. Uh, Aleister Crowley. You know, mm. they, they're very into all that. And you know, part of the whole elites 
methodology with uh, pulling off false these false flags, you know, like the darker magical side of the, you know, Illuminati or the, the cabal, you know, that they, they have to tell us that they're doing these false flags or these different things before they happen so that they can be relieved, relieved of the karma. And that's very crucial. And that sounds a lot like kind of what you're talking about of like put, kind of putting it out there, but having like, you know, the back end story of how to kind of. Yeah. And if you examine a lot of the, the people that are on the Sergeant Pepper cover, like it's Crowley's on there. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's on there, but you can also tie like there's 12 Freemasons on there and there's a lot pointing to Paul or the replacement. If there was a replacement that he was a Freemason. Um, and then a lot of people on the cover were people that were really interested in, you know, social like engineering of the masses through, you know, LSD or whatever it was. You have Huxley on there who, mm. you know, released Doors of Perception, which in my mind was basically just like this drug propaganda book that just got people so like the beginnings so of MK yeah. Ultra. Yeah. Well, J John Lennon talks like in I think it was an interview with Playboy. I don't, it was really soon before he died. He said, we have to remember to thank the uh, CIA for giving us LSD, um, but they were trying to control us and they actually set us free or something like that. And then he dies soon after, you know, making that statement in an interview. So I don't know. <laughs> That's so um, wild. Huh? I'm really excited <laughs> to, to see what you come up with that. And like, you know, uh, that, sure. that whole subject is very interesting. And, you know, I think that, you know, I applaud you for, you know, wanting to go after that. It's just a cool idea for it. a film, yeah. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, this has been an incredible interview. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah, lots of Thank fun. Thank you. We really enjoyed having you on the show, man. And, uh, you know, I want to hear how the film does. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely have you back on uh, for Yeah, I can, maybe Paul's I can dead. talk more about the Paul stuff. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, man. Awesome. All right, man. Well, we will talk to you soon. And, uh... Yeah, once again, I just had a great time on this interview, and uh, thank you so much talk for, to you again. for all that yeah, you're doing. Yeah, thank you guys. It's nice to talk to some like-minded souls. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, we will see you guys later, and I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode of Humanity Awaken Radio. We will see you on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Cheers. Bye.